Well, let's pray together. Ask God to meet us today in the word. Lord, we do ask exactly that. Would you open our hearts to what your word says about faith and the importance of trusting Jesus and what that means? And thank you for the things you've, you've let me experience this week in terms of fighting through just some worrisome things and some tempting things. And, and Jesus, you're so faithful. When we trust you, you meet us. And I, I pray that you'd strengthen me to be able to communicate these things biblically and accurately. Give me the heart that I need. Help me not to say anything that would be um, imbalanced or, or wrong. And Lord, give us hearts to receive and to hear from your word today. So we give this time to you now and ask you to work powerfully. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, we're going through a 10-week series, uh, Doctrines, Practices, and Passions of Mercy Hill Church. And this morning, I want us to talk about how to live the Christian life. And here's the picture I want you to have. If you, if you could picture a big treasure chest, okay, like a pirate's treasure chest. And inside this treasure chest are all the, the treasures that Jesus Christ wants to give to us. I mean, there's treasures of forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future, in that treasure chest. There's the treasure chest of redemption, being set free from being Satan's slaves, slaves of sin. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we're redeemed, we're freed. So freedom from sin's guilt and power. There's the treasure of adoption, uh, Ephesians 1, 3, we're predestined to adoption, and love God has done that. And so we can receive adoption as sons and daughters, by which we become children of God the Father. Not just in theory, but in a heart-connected relationship, so that there's an intimacy and a love and a warmth and a closeness and a security and a care. And you know that God knows, not only does he know every single need that you have, but he has promised to take care of every single need that you have. Just like Don Rockhill, who I think is back with the kids, Car broke down. Somebody offered her a car for free until, what, June or end of June or something? Anyway, amazing ways that God the Father knows every single need that you have and not only knows about it, but wants to help you with every single need that you have. So we've got redemption, forgiveness, adoption. You've got the security of knowing God as your Father. You've got the fact that you can take every worry to Him, and He promises as you pray you'll receive peace. You've got guidance in the Scriptures. You've got the wisdom that He'll give you. You've got fellowship with brothers and sisters. There's just this this whole treasure chest of treasures that God wants to give to us, purchased through Jesus' death on the cross. So how do we get those treasures? Jesus has purchased them for us on the cross. How do we get them? What key unlocks the treasure chest? There's only one. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The only key that unlocks God's treasure chest of good things that he wants to do for you is trusting Jesus. That's the key. If you try to be good enough to open up that treasure chest, what's going to happen? You pull out like that key, the key of like trying to be really good, and you're trying to jam this key in there and, you know, pat it in there, you know, Will that treasure chest ever open by means of the key of trying to be good enough? I'm not sensing a great degree of confidence here. Okay, will that key ever open up? No. I mean, just try it and you'll see what happens, okay? So you can't be good enough 
Um, you, there's no other religion that gives you a key to open up that treasure chest. The only way that treasure chest can be opened is through the key of trusting Jesus, trusting him. Now, what I want to communicate to you this morning is not only is that how you begin the Christian life by trusting Jesus, that's how you continue the Christian life, by trusting Jesus alone. Only trusting Jesus alone, that's the way you begin, that's the way you continue. And I want to really make sure you get this point this morning, because too many Christians think you start the Christian life with trusting Jesus, and then you kind of graduate. You know, faith is kind of elementary. Faith is kind of nursery school, kind of kindergarten thing. And, and I want to grow as a Christian, so I, I move beyond faith. So now I relate to God by means of, like, devoted obedience, okay? Have you ever tried that key of devoted obedience? What does that key of devoted obedience do? I'm not sensing a great deal of confidence. What does that key of devoted obedience do? Okay, nothing. Is de- devoted obedience important? Yes. Okay, be confident about that too. But that will not open the key. That, that will not open the lock to receive the treasures. So, number one there, under doctrine, the Christian life does not start with faith in Jesus and then move to something else. It starts and continues by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 shows how it starts. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, that key doesn't work, so that no one may boast. But now look at Galatians 2.20. How does the Christian life continue? Paul says, and the life I now live in the flesh. Now that word flesh there is just referring to the physical life, life before heaven. So the life I now live, I'm, I'm already a Christian, I'm already following Jesus. The life I now live after first coming to faith How do I live it? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul's life began with faith in Jesus, and Paul's life continues with faith in Jesus. And so that's the answer to the question. How do we live the Christian life? It's by trusting Jesus. Number two, everything else, I don't think this is an overstatement, everything else that God calls you to be and do flows into your life through faith in Jesus. So faith in Jesus, there's other things that are important in the Christian life, but everything else that's important comes through faith. Okay? I'll give you some examples. Love comes through faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 or 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, But only, here's what does count, faith working through love. Where does love come from? Faith. If you have genuine trust in Jesus, that trust in Jesus, that faith, will work through to an outflow of love. You've experienced this, haven't you? The times when you are the most loving to enemies, for example, I mean, loving your wife is one thing, but when, when you're the most loving towards your enemies is when you're trusting Jesus, right? The times when you're bitter and angry against somebody, there's no trust in Jesus there at those times. Because if there's faith, it'll be working itself out in love. So love is an important thing. We are passionate about pursuing love here at Mercy Hill Church. We want to learn how to love each other the way that the scriptures describe. Love comes through faith in Jesus. 
Another thing that's important is obedience. Where does obedience come from? Hebrews 11.8. By faith. That word can also be translated trust, belief. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. How did Abraham obey? By faith. It doesn't say by willpower, although willpower can be important. I mean, choice and resolve, those are important words. But the most important word, the most important source of obedience is faith. If you're trusting Jesus, obedience will flow as a result of that. If you're not obeying, it's because you're not trusting. The battle for obedience is fought and won in the realm of trusting Jesus. That's why Paul calls faith the fight of faith. The whole Christian life is a fight to keep trusting Jesus and not get sucked off into trusting the lies of the evil one. That's what it's all about. Power over Satan. I love, this is an amazing verse. Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now that line in itself is pretty astonishing, isn't it? How often or in how many circumstances should you take up the shield of faith? All of them. <laughs> so like, faith is what you're always supposed to have, right? Case closed. It's as plain as David. Now look at why. This is really cool. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I mean, you've had flaming darts launched at you this past week from Satan. You know, it's not, he's really mean, not just darts, but flaming darts, kill, burn, bad. Okay. So flaming darts, let's, what are some of the flaming darts that maybe people have been hit with this week? Just throw out some of them, like fears, temptations, worries, doubts, discouragements, bitterness. What else? Unforgiveness, loss of a job, dishonesty. Okay, money pressures, lust. Just, I mean, Satan's got, he, he knows what chinks there are in your armor. He knows exactly what your weaknesses are. And he'll just, I mean, there's some that are going to be hitting you while we're talking here this morning right now. Flaming darts are coming. This is not like King's X. Okay. Now, what can extinguish every flaming dart of the evil one? The shield of faith. I mean, that is an amazing thing. God has given you. A weapon by which every single sh uh, flaming dart that comes your way can be extinguished. Every single one. I don't think that's an overstatement. In every circumstance, taking up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish every flaming dart of the evil one. Do you see how tragic it is if we think, well, faith, that's how I came to become a Christian. I'm now graduating beyond faith. I'm living in the realm of devoted obedience. What's going to happen if I'm moving past faith, leaving faith behind, and now living in the realm of devoted obedience? My body's going to be riddled with flaming darts. Right? Because the shield is faith. Okay, I've got to keep moving here. But I really like that one. That's really good. <laughs> Joy and peace. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now what that means is that joy and peace, not in circumstances, but in Jesus, so that you're beholding him, you're 
trusting his love for you. You're seeing his sovereign control over every detail of your life. His passionate joy to do you good. You're seeing these things. You're trusting him. Peace in him, not in circumstances. Joy in him, not in other things. But where does that come from? Where does all joy and peace come from? It's, it's in believing. Believing, trusting him is the channel through which God will fill us with all joy and peace in believing. Now, you may be thinking, okay, faith is supposed to bring love for other people into my heart and enable me to be obedient and to give me power over Satan and give me joy and peace. I trust Jesus, but I'm experiencing very little of those. Maybe the problem is a misunderstanding about what faith is. So let's go to number three, which is the best definition I've heard of what faith is. It's from John Piper. He's a pastor back in Minnesota. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be to me in Christ Jesus. Now let me just, I, I broke this down into like six, six points I want to make on the first and then the, next, the rest of the next page. Let me just break this down and, and try to help you make sure that you are biblical and clear in what faith is because if the shield is the shield of faith but if what you have isn't biblical faith you're going to be in trouble ha right that's going to be scary because those are going to come flying right through that shield and they're going to nail you so you got to make sure that the shield is the shield of biblical faith not just maybe what your own mind has come up with in terms of what faith is so first of all faith means trusting this is a really important word It's not just agreeing to truths about Jesus. The best way I can illustrate this is Satan agrees with all those truths about Jesus. The demons all knew that Jesus was the Son of God, right? Were they trusting Jesus? No. Did they believe that he was the Son of God? In a sense, yes. But see, that's part of the difficulty with the word believing. And I think the word trusting is much more what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith and belief. It's you trust Jesus. The demons didn't trust him. So it's not just agreeing to truths about Jesus. It means personally trusting yourself, your needs, your past, your present, your future. I've got needs, and then I trust them to Jesus. That's faith. Here's an illustration. Look at Genesis 15, 5. God brought him, Abraham, outside. And said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. That's how many children, biological children, I'm going to give to you. So shall your offspring be. And then this famous verse, which is quoted three or four or five times in the New Testament. And Abraham believed the Lord And he, the Lord, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what I want you to see from this is Abraham's faith was in was taking a need that he had, a longing that he had for children. He wanted children. And God had promised him, that's how many your descendants will be. So Abraham took his longing for children, trusted that longing to God's promise. And that's believing God. It's when you have a need. If you, if there's, let me just ask you this question. I wrote it down so I could be clear about it. What need have you been trusting Jesus to meet this past week? 
if you can't think of any, you haven't been trusting Jesus. Because trust in Jesus is not just, he died on the cross to pay for my sins, I'm going to heaven, and now I live my life. I've got to take care of my money, I've got to take care of my kids, you know, I've got to worry about this. No! Faith means all those needs. Your money, your wife, your kids, you know, your, your job, your health, you know, your, your heart emptiness, your discouragements, your joys, all of your needs. Jesus says, trust those to me. I want to take care of all those needs. See, you're going to trust something for those needs. No human being can live without trusting something for your needs. To be a follower of Jesus, you turn from what you used to trust, any number of things we used to trust, we we turn from what we used to trust, and we trust Jesus for our needs. And so that's what it means to have faith. It means trusting, trusting. There's a need that you have. There's a promise that Jesus gives you about that need, and then you trust your need to Jesus. You make a a heart connection with Jesus to trust him for that need that you have. Okay, top of the next page. In the Bible, faith focuses on God's promises. If we try to trust God without focusing on his promises, our trust will be vague at best. Romans 4.20, talking about Abraham. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Biblical faith is in promises that are found in the scriptures. This is so key to understand. This book is full of all the things that God has promised to do for those who will trust Jesus. God has given us a whole book full of his promises, plus how we live to receive those promises, plus his faithfulness in fulfilling those promises throughout history ever since creation. So the Bible is it's a treasure chest, to use that metaphor again, of God's promises. Faith means taking your need and trusting what God has promised to do about that need through Jesus Christ. So if there's no promise, at best, your faith is vague. Here's the question then. What promises have you been trusting Jesus to fulfill for you this past week? Or have you just been kind of vaguely saying, well, I'm going to trust God? Well, that's better than nothing. But trust him to do what? Trust him for what? And I find such benefit in opening up, finding a promise in black and white, and looking at it, and talking to Jesus about it, and praying over it, until I I trust that Jesus is going to fulfill this promise for me, so I'm entrusting my need to him. So it's focused on God's promises. Next, faith does not just trust Jesus' promises about forgiveness of sins and avoiding hell and going to heaven as infinitely precious as those are. I don't want to disparage those in any way. Those are massive. And if it wasn't for those, it'd be over, okay? But that's not just what faith is. You've got a life to live and needs to deal with now. So faith trusts all That God promises to be to me in Christ Jesus. Namely, he'll be my Lord. So I trust him to guide me. He says, forgive your enemy. That's the path to walk. Give me grace. Heal my heart. 
Help me to forgive this enemy. So we, we trust Jesus as Lord. We trust him as Savior. Sin, guilt, saved from hell, going to heaven. And we trust him as all-satisfying treasure. That the person of Jesus, knowing him, beholding him, worshiping him, is where my full and lasting satisfaction comes from. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Speaking of Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, this isn't an exact quote, but he says somewhere something pretty much like this, that God has a promise for every problem. You've all got problems right now, okay, just because you're alive and breathing and conscious. All right, you've got problems. God has a promise, at least one, in the word of God that pertains to your problem. So faith in Jesus for you would mean understanding what your problem is, seeing what has Jesus promised to do, and then, that's not enough, not just enough to know what the need is and what the promise is, then you trust him to do what he's promised. You trust him. You put your heart in him. You trust the living Jesus, which is the next, next one. Faith means trusting the person of Jesus the person of Jesus, to be to me what he's promised. I don't just trust words on a page or promises in in a book. Faith is a heart connection with the living Jesus. It's heart satisfaction in the living Jesus. In other words, if a problem comes and you say, everything's going to work out all right, is that faith? Kind of a tricky question. It's not clear if it's faith to me. Faith is in Jesus. Not just a statement, everything will work out all right. See, a lot of people think, problem comes, it'll all work out all right, God's going to take care of it. But those statements can be less than biblical faith. Biblical faith is where you are trusting the living Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, you've promised to provide all my financial needs Philippians 4.19, Matthew 6.33, as I seek first your kingdom, you'll supply everything I need. Not, not mega bucks, but every penny I need to fulfill your call to me, you will provide. Help me to trust you. I'm worried about my job now. I'm worried about this uh, unexpected bill. My car just broke down. Jesus, I want to trust you. That's faith. It's in Jesus. You're talking to Jesus about what he's promised to do. There's a personal heart connection marked by trust. I trust him. I've got the need. He's got the resource. I'm the needy one. He's the all-powerful one. I come to him and trust him. That's faith. Does that make sense? Okay. John 6:35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So here's a relational word. We come to Jesus. He's not physically here, so I don't need to travel 100 yards where he's out there. But I can come to Jesus right now by turning my heart towards him and what the scriptures say about him. And that's who he is, as is described in the scriptures. I come to him. That's one aspect of it. And whoever believes in me, there's content, which is what's spelled out in the scriptures. So there's relational, come to him, joined with Content, we believe in him, so we trust him as he's described in the scriptures, and that's faith. Okay, so, so please don't, Mercy Hill Church, don't, don't when problems come just say, everything's going to work out all right. 
That's not really faith, probably. Don't overstate it. Faith is where your, your heart is trusting a living being, Jesus Christ, died, resurrected, living for you now, alive in the heavens, sovereign over everything, loving you passionately through the cross. And you trust this living being to do what he said he would do. That's faith. Are you trusting the living Jesus in your life? So when Paul says, in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith, I mean, every metaphor breaks down because that could sound like it's just something you kind of do. But what that faith is, the shield is a heart trust in the living Jesus, trusting that he will be and do what the scriptures say. And when you have that heart trust in Jesus, the arrows just bounce right off of you. They do. Okay? All right. Now. Faith is cross-centered. Next, right halfway down the page there. Faith means trusting Jesus as the one who loves me, gave himself up for me. So faith is cross-centered. The cross is the blazing, clear center of who Jesus is as portrayed in the scriptures. This is crucial because it frees me from self-righteousness. We're all, almost all of us anyway, I think, are wired to start to think, I've got to come to Jesus with something good that I've done so he'll bless me. That key doesn't open the box, okay? If you try to come to Jesus with something good you've done, self-righteousness, thinking that's going to open up the box, that box is like really tight shut then, okay? Because then you'll get the glory, and that'll shun the cross, and the cross is what it's all about. So if you keep your faith cross-centered, you'll never be tempted to bring your righteousness as a means to wheedle good things out of him, Okay? Helps you avoid self-righteousness. Keeps me from pride. The cross, Jesus' suffering, was what I deserve as a sinner in myself. Keeps me from pride. And it displays Jesus' amazing love. So when your faith is cross-centered, okay, let's play this out. Let's say you've sinned, okay, which happens every day. And now you realize, I need to come back to Jesus, but I've sinned. Well, if your faith is cross-centered, who, what kind of people does the cross invite? Sinners, okay, welcome. Steve Fuller, sinner, welcome. That's what the cross says. So if you keep your faith cross-centered, you'll always understand that you as a sinner are welcomed as a sinner to repent and be made right with God. Last point here. Well, anyway, this, you see where I'm going. Uh, the supreme promise, here's, here's the, the big capital P promise, is that if you trust Jesus then God will orchestrate everything, everything to bring you the full and lasting joy of knowing and worshiping Jesus now and forever. That's the big promise. It's John 6:35, halfway up the page. You won't hunger. You'll never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. So what this means is that if you're trusting Jesus, then you can be absolutely confident that every problem, every difficulty, discouragement, temptation, trouble, Everything God is orchestrating, orchestrate like a, like a symphony orchestra, to bring you to full and lasting joy in knowing Jesus. The prize of this whole life is that you get Jesus. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, so living is Jesus. I get to have Jesus tomorrow. I get to be in glorifying Jesus Tuesday. I get to magnify who Jesus is on Wednesday. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, more of Christ. It's all about Jesus. Now see, you'll only be thrilled about that if you've been born again 
Because being born again means that God gives you a new nature which loves Jesus. You can own up to who Jesus is. Look at who you are, Jesus. I love you. I want to know you. To be in your presence forever would be infinitely satisfying to me. See, if you have been born again, then you have that new heart which loves Jesus. If you haven't been born again yet, then the thought that the the big prize you get out of life is Jesus, you're going to be saying, okay, that's the big one. What's the second biggest one? Okay? And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because if there's no love for Jesus Christ, if there's no supreme love for Jesus Christ, where you love him more than anything else, then you need to raise serious questions as to have you been born again. Not that your love for Jesus is going to always be supreme. I mean, there's been major portions this last week where other things have been fighting for supremacy in terms of my love for Jesus. We've all, we all struggle with that. But the trend of my life and my longing is to love Jesus more than anything. And I've had tastes and times where he has been my whole delight. Here are some scriptures. Look at Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss, Paul says. Everything is loss. I mean, he lost possessions. He lost skin off of his back. He lost his health. He lost reputation. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, the, the parable in uh, Matthew 13, the man who, who finds the treasure in the fields... Right, he's walking, he stumbles over this treasure in the field, and he says, like this treasure box full of like gold, and he like covers it up, and then he notices that the field is for sale, and so he sells everything else that he has to buy the field because he wants the treasure. It's a very good deal to sell everything if you're getting the treasure, right? That's how Paul was. Very good deal to lose everything else if he's going to get Jesus in the process. That's sweet. Okay, that's a good deal as far as Paul's concerned. First Peter one thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is our hope to be fully set on? It's that at the second coming, Jesus will be revealed. And when I see Jesus face to face, now it's through a mirror dimly. I fight my own weariness, I fight my, just, you know, my pride, I fight my lusts, I fight just anger. You know, it's, it's through a mirror dimly now. It's sweet, better than anything else the world has to offer, but it's just through a mirror dimly. But then, it'll be face to face. And when you see Jesus face to face, grace will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that grace of seeing Jesus is what we set all of our hope on. Is that where all of your hope is set? Everything else is going to be gone, and he is the infinite joy of the universe, is knowing Jesus Christ. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, I I want to just hammer this point because... There are versions of Christianity which say that the promises, that what God promises you is he promises you wealth, and he promises you health, and he promises you a stress-free life, and he promises you ease, and he promises you comfort, and your family is going to be wonderful, and your marriage is going to be wonderful, and we want to pray for wonderful marriages and families, okay? But it's really easy to get distracted by things that the Bible doesn't promise, 
that God may give, but that aren't promised. The promise is Jesus. The promise is Jesus. So if what you're in for is something else, you're not tracking with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so trusting Jesus means the big capital P promises that he's the treasure, he's the prize, he's my reward, I will get him. And if all you want is him, then you'll be satisfied. I mean, like infinitely satisfied, because he is infinitely satisfying. Okay, all right, so that's what faith is. So I'm trying to unpack Piper's phrase on page one. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be to me in Christ Jesus. Okay, I knew this was going to happen. Now, here's my, my struggle. Is uh, Top of page three, we've got passions and practices. And I, I'm not going to go through all these. I wanted to list a whole bunch of just ways that this works itself out in real life. And so if you'll read through them, I've got 12 of them and then a, a last point, 13. But let me just go through a couple that I think are important and we'll see how we do time-wise. Number one, first thing in the morning. Okay, what's your first thought when you wake up? Okay, it's easy sometimes just to focus on the problems. Okay, or if you are more of a positive bent, it's easy to be positive. You know, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Okay, but neither of those are faith. So I would encourage you to set your heart upon Jesus, who promises to orchestrate everything to bring you heart-filling, never-ending joy in him. Often, Psalm 118.24, not, not always, I'm working on it, but often this is a verse that's in my mind pretty quick after getting up. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God's made this day. He's, he has good works that he's created for me before the foundation of the world that he, he's going to enable me to do today. He's in control of all the problems today. He's going to give me strength for every trial I face today. He's going to give me wisdom for every decision I have to make today. He's going to comfort my heart for every difficulty I face today. He's going to satisfy me with his presence through the day whenever I turn to him today. This is the day that the Lord has made. So to trust Jesus to take care of my day first thing in the morning. Jesus, this is your day. Thank you. Help me to trust you. So that's number one. Number two, seeking God through the word and prayer. I want to encourage all of you to get into a habit of spending time with Jesus in the word and in prayer every day. Now, that can become a legalistic, kind of a dutiful thing, and I don't want it to be that because that's terrible. So... I wanted to bring it up here, though, because the goal of that time should be to nurture your heart trust in Jesus. So I open up the scriptures and say, Jesus, show me something about you today that will strengthen me in trusting you. That's my main goal when I read the scriptures. And I find something. And I'll I'll pray over it until I see it more clearly. And the Holy Spirit gives me some sense that it's really true. And And I talk to Jesus about it and trust him to do it and thank him for it. And then I'll pray about the different problems and worries and fears I'm facing for that day or for the future. Anything that's making my heart be ill at ease. Anything that's giving me frustration or discouragement. I'll try to pray about my different needs and situations until I'm really feeling at peace about it because I'm trusting Jesus. So... Spend time with the Lord every day. The point is to strengthen your trust in Jesus. That's the goal. Not just to have done something, but to have your trust in Jesus strengthened through prayer and meditation on his word. So you see who he is in God's word. You trust him for your needs and worries. 
You have your heart satisfied in him, and you long to obey him and glorify him. And I've got some scriptures there that you can read on your own. Look at number three. I wanted to make sure we got to this one. We're called to obey Jesus, right? By faith. Quiz time. How did Abraham obey? By faith, Abraham obeyed God. And so the Christian life means obeying Jesus. And so we need to do what he's called us to do. But it's vital that we do this by faith. Namely, trusting him to do all that he promises. Every command he gives, carries, gives us, carries an implicit promise that obeying will, by his grace, bring us more of him. So don't obey just out of duty. Pray over Jesus' promises until you trust that he will give you more of himself as you obey him. Now look at these two scriptures, and then I'm going to illustrate this. John 13, 17. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, if you don't do them, what are you not trusting? You aren't trusting that you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll think you'll be more blessed by not by doing something else. Let me read it again. Okay, follow along with me. If you know these things, these commandments that Jesus has just given, blessed are you if you do them. So why should we do them? One reason is, so we'll be blessed. If I don't do them, am I trusting that I'll be blessed by doing them? No. Or maybe I'll trust that I'll get more blessing doing something else. Right? So the fight for obedience is fought and won in this realm of trusting Jesus' promises. Now, what is the blessing? Is it health? Is it wealth? Is it that I'll have a stress-free life? I'll go through life unscathed by problems? Here's the promise. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Okay, there's obey, obeying, right? He'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What an amazing promise. You can have the Father, God the Father, and Jesus the Son coming to you now in this life and making their home in you. To experience the presence of God in that way, like David said in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. So that's the promise. That's the capital P promise. Jesus is the prize. Okay, so here's the illustration. We're called to follow Jesus. And it's a metaphor, but to follow Jesus means, as we're walking along, he will say, this is the path to go on. Don't go this path. Okay, so, so don't go on the path of pornography. Go on the path of sexual purity. Right? We have choices like that. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, my, I'm, a, I'm on the path of sexual purity. That's the path we, we, we go. So we, we choose that. But why would we choose the path of sexual purity over against the path of pornography? It's because if you choose the path of sexual purity, you're trusting Jesus, the Father, and Jesus will come and make their home with you. So you've got to choose the pleasures of looking at pornography versus the pleasures of having God the Father and Jesus the Son making their home in you. And I tell you, you know, 
the pleasures of having God the Father and Jesus the Son making their home with you is infinitely greater than anything else that the world has to offer. And so you just make the choice. You say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus because if we keep his word, the Father will love us and he and the Father will come to us, come to me, come to you and make their home with us. You got a neighbor who you've never met, maybe. Maybe you've lived next door to them for years. You know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. You know the words of eternal life. Jesus says, reach out to your neighbors, love your neighbors, care for your neighbors. You've never met them. And so the path of following Jesus would be go over there and meet them in some way. Or you can go on the path of just holing up in your house and not following Jesus. So why are you going to take the path of reaching your neighbor, connecting with your neighbor, serving your neighbor, loving, getting to know your neighbor? Why are you going to go on that path? It's because if you take that path, if you keep my word, the Father and I will come and we'll make our home with you. Okay? That's why. So you trust, Jesus, I, I want more of you. I'm afraid to go meet my neighbor. I get all tongue-tied. I'm, I'm kind of a recluse. I'm an introvert, you know. Then, that's right, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. So Jesus even promises to help you do the things he's called you to do. I will strengthen you. I will help you. If your tongue gets tied, that's all right. Just, you know, I'll untie it at the appropriate time. It'll, it'll work. It'll be okay. So the point is, we need to obey by faith. There's a whole other way of obeying that is really not ever found in the Bible, and that is thinking that we should obey to pay Jesus back for what he's done. We should be very thankful to Jesus for what he's done. But nowhere in the Bible are we told to try to pay Jesus back for what he's done. Can we pay Jesus back for what he's done? Obviously no. Nothing we do even shows up on the chart of thinking about trying to pay Jesus back for what he's done. We should be deeply thankful, but we never are supposed to try to pay him back as if he was in our debt and we've got something he needs. No. We obey because we need to. The path of following Jesus will bring us more of the Father and more of the Son. And so if you're having a hard time obeying in an area, which we all do, we have different areas, I would encourage you to, to pray over this promise and over other promises so that the, the, the draw of having God the Father and Jesus the Son so stirs your heart that you can say no to the temptation to disobey and say yes to the call to obey. So you pray over the promise, and then you'll be like Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Okay, wow. Mm-mm-mm. Let me, uh, we've got discouragement about my day, relationships, and circumstances. That's really good stuff. You'll want to read that. Discouragement about past and present sin, being cross-centered. That's really, really important. Okay, let me do, I'm going to do hopelessness about recurring sin in my life. Oh, Wow. Okay, well, let me do one more, and then I'll think about what's going to happen next week. But anyway, um, number 12, when I'm going through a trial, page 6, bottom of page 6, fight against looking only at the trial. You know how we tend to do that? Trial comes, it's big, it's central, it's massive, you can see it. And Jesus is way over there, way on the side, little Jesus, okay? Big, big, big trial, little time. You believe in him, but he's very small. And 
The trial's right there, okay? See, that? And that's totally wrong. But that's where we are. And we, we've got to fight the fight of faith by, by pondering what the Scriptures teach about Jesus and talking to Jesus about who He is until we see Him rightly as He is. He's big. He's all-powerful. He's massive. He's not worried. He loves you. He died for you. He's in control. He's got it all under control. And the problem is over there. It's in his hand, maybe even. He's got, he's got the problem in his hand. But to trust him and to fight the fight of faith until you not just see that that's the truth, but you feel it. And the peace comes because you're saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you. You're in control of my job. You're in control of my marriage, my kids, my health. You're in control and you love me. So here's one scripture that would be really good to pray over. Here's some framework. This, a lot of times we say that when God allows trials to come into our lives, we don't know why he does. And there's truth to that. We don't know all the reasons why. But we do know a couple of reasons absolutely why. There's some we know why, for certain, sure. And this passage says one of them. So rather than saying we don't know why, I think we should spend more of our time talking about what we do know in terms of why. And here's the reason why. Here's what Paul says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away trials, difficulties, problems, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, here's, here's how that happens, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Eternal compares to momentary, weight compares to light, and glory is the opposite of affliction. So this light momentary affliction, and it's light momentary affliction in comparison with the eternal weight of glory, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Every trial that God allows to come your way is intended by him to prepare for you an eternal weight of glory. Earlier in chapter 4, the glory Paul's talking about is the glory of whom? Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. So every trial is granted by God, allowed by God. He chose to allow it to come to you. As a gift. As a gift. By means of which he will be preparing your hearts to enjoy even more of Jesus' glory forever than you could have had you not gone through that trial. Sometimes God delivers us from trials. Okay? We love that. Many times he chooses not to. And he allows the trial to stay. And every single time that happens, you know from this verse one purpose that God has. And this is like the, the big focus we should have. God's allowing this trial to give me even more focus on Jesus, to help me see even more of the transiency of the world, so that I'll set my heart more on Jesus. And as a result of that, I'm going to be beholding more glory, more of Jesus' glory forever. And so every trial that way is a gift. Because it's going to be increasing your joy in Jesus forever. So, that's the truth. Now, the problem is, when we're in the midst of the trial, we've got to pray. Because every trial threatens some joy that I have. Right? 
Every trial threatened like the joy of health. So I've got to pray so that the joy of health, as much of a blessing as it is from God, but to see that the joy of Jesus is greater than physical health in this life. And that, that can take some prayer to fight that through. So you see, Jesus, you are the prize. I'll choose you over physical health. I'll choose you over physical life. To have you is worth everything. But to pray and to seek the Lord and to meditate on the scriptures until your heart feels that. And then that you see that that's his purpose. Now let me, you can kick the, Tom, you can put that picture of Katie Stellar up on the, some good friends of ours, Katie Stellar, she'll be coming up here in a second. She's uh, 18 years old now. There she is, and that's her mom, Julie. Okay, they live, they're, they're back at, at uh, John Piper's church back there. I met Tom, he's not in the picture, the husband in seminary. Tom is the dean of their uh, theological school now. But Katie was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2001. And it's been a terrible struggle ever since. And um, they've tried every kind of different treatment, and finally surgery was the only option. And so she had surgery earlier this last week, on Monday. And they took out her whole colon which is going to have all kinds of implications in terms of you know, her lifestyle and stuff after this point. But I want you to hear what Katie, as an 18-year-old, wrote on her blog. It's amazing. Even though it's been a battle to fight every day, I would not change anything about these past years. This sickness has made me into the person that I am And I thank God. Now, I thank God is all uppercase caps. I thank God for every painful moment. Because it has given me opportunities to glorify him that I would not have had otherwise. 18 years old. So, she tells us, the readers, thank God for hard times because they help us lean on him. Thank God for hard times. They help us lean on Him. Why would you thank Him for that? Because leaning on Jesus is everything. If something can help you lean more on Jesus, bring it on. Leaning on Jesus is life. Leaning on Jesus is what you were created to do. Leaning on Jesus is what your existence is about. So thank God for hard times because they help us lean on him when we're seeing everything else failing. At the same time, uh, Tom, the husband, got a phone call about a couple who went into, she went into labor early and their son Elias died during delivery at 21 weeks along. And I want to read you what he wrote on the blog. Back up here. Last night, I went to North Memorial Hospital and spent time with the husband and the wife. When we walked in, they were sitting on the bed, holding a tiny cradle with their son in it. He died during delivery at 21 weeks along. He was perfectly formed and a beautiful blend of their physical traits. We cried and prayed together to see the honest grief in them. Okay? Honest grief. We do grieve. 
but not as those without hope. The promises don't mean we don't grieve, right? To see the honest grief in them and to hear their heartfelt testimony to God's presence and his goodness is something I wish you could have all heard. Now, I just want to read that again. Did you, did you hear that? To see the honest grief in them and to hear their heartfelt testimony to God's presence. God's here. We're leaning on God. God's here. And God's good. Here's our 21-week-old son in the cradle. I mean, in the, he's dead. God's here. And God's good. To hear their heartfelt testimony to God's presence and his goodness is something I wish you could have all heard. Where else can we turn but to God's sovereign goodness at a time like this? Thanks for keeping them and Katie in your prayers. Mercy Hill Church, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a man who trusts Jesus. And I want, I want us to be a church full of people who trust Jesus. So when the trials come, we grieve. We're not stoic. We're not like pasting on smiles. It's all fine. We'll weep. We'll mourn. We'll be convulsed with sobs at times. And, and we'll give testimony to God's presence and goodness. And we'll thank him for every trial which has enabled us to lean on him more. Because there's no greater pleasure than leaning on Jesus. No greater pleasure. How do you live the Christian life? We live it by faith. What can you do to strengthen your faith? Pray. I would encourage you to pray. I would encourage you to study the scriptures. Faith comes from hearing God's word. I would encourage you to be in a home group. The whole goal of our home groups is in terms of how we are concerned in the group is to build each other up in trusting Jesus. And then to reach other people and help them to trust Jesus. But in terms of the home group members, we meet once a week to strengthen each other in trusting Jesus. That's the aim. You walk in with, you know, five degrees of faith. You walk out with 10 or 15. That's the prayer for each one of us. Preaching. Vital way to get strengthened in your faith. Worship, as you've experienced this morning. Vital way to strengthen faith. Fill your life with the things that will strengthen your faith. Because the whole Christian life starts and continues with trusting Jesus. Mercy Hill Church, trust Jesus. You'll, you can never trust him too much. He, he will never fail you when you trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Let's stand together. It is an amazing thing, God that the one thing you'd call us to do is to trust you to help us. That says it all. We can't do these things on our own. We can't pay for our own sins. You want us to trust you to pay for them through Jesus. We can't set our hearts free from sin. But you, you can set our hearts free from sin through Jesus' death on the cross. We can't provide for our own needs as much as we think we maybe can, but we can't. But you ask us to trust you. We can't be strong enough in ourselves to do the things you've called us to do, but you ask us to trust you to strengthen us. 
We can't find heart satisfaction in anything in the world. But our heart satisfaction is in you. And you ask us to trust you to satisfy our hearts in the person of Jesus. And the list just goes on and on. We're the needy ones. You're the all-sufficient, loving, gracious, merciful Father who promises to do everything we need so that we'll be brought into the everlasting joy of beholding you forever. Help us to trust you, not just for forgiveness of sins, but for our finances, for our need for forgiveness today, for our marriages, for our need for strength, for our discouragements, for the needs that we're all carrying in our hearts right now. Help us to trust you. And Lord, especially when trials come and those who are going through trials right now, help them to trust you, to lean on you, to thank you for allowing the trial to come because it's helped them to have the heart satisfaction of leaning on you. Oh God, make us here at Mercy Hill Church a people who trust Jesus, who trust Jesus to do all that Jesus and you through Jesus has promised us to do. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've got needs. As Dave leads us, I just want you to take those needs and talk to Jesus about them. The needs you've got right now, take that need. might be the need to be forgiven for your sins. Ask Jesus to do that. Trust him. Talk to him about that. Job issues, health issues, concern about your parents or your kids or brothers and sisters. Somebody you need to forgive. You need the Lord to change your heart so you'll love this person who's hurt you. Take your need. Talk to Jesus about it heart to heart. That's faith. Do it now as Dave leads us.